Welcome to this week's podcast. My name is Mickey Badlamenti, and I'm the discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, we've modified our church schedule to help keep people safe. We currently offer on-site Sunday morning services at 9 and 11 a.m. with limited capacity, and we ask that you register ahead of time. Please visit www.rockpoint.org slash register before you join in person. That way we can save your seat. And we also live stream the 11 a.m. service on our YouTube channel. You can always find Rock Point on Facebook or visit the website for more information, including important schedule updates. And while COVID may have affected how we do church, it cannot diminish our efforts together to be the church. We look forward to connecting with you. Enjoy the podcast. We've been in a series entitled The Long Way Home, studying the children of Israel and as they come out of Egypt and how God could have taken them very quickly to Canaan, but instead takes a longer route because he's trying to develop these people from slaves into warriors, from tribes into a nation. And um, today I want to talk to you about the songs that we sing. And to begin with, I want to kind of quote from uh, a comedian, uh, a little vulgar at times. His name is uh, Louis C.K. But he has a routine that I came across years ago that, uh, to me, just cracks me up. It's entitled, Everything's Amazing Right Now, But Nobody's Happy. Now, I know it's hard to kind of accept that one right now. But he talks about the different changes that have happened and how incredible they were. Like how when he was a kid, he had a rotary telephone. Out of curiosity, how many of you ever actually had a rotary telephone? All right. For the rest of you, get with one of them. They'll explain the whole thing. All right? But you literally had to dial the phone, and you, you swung from the zero was the last one, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, two, and you swung it over, and then it swung back, and you'd swing the next number, and the next number, sparks would come out of the little machine, and, and somehow you would connect with other human beings. It was amazing, okay? Also very annoying, because anybody, you, you hated people who had phone numbers with a lot of zeros in them, because it meant a lot of, Okay? And so that type of thing, and, and when you put through the call, um, on the other end it would not be answered. It wouldn't go to an answering machine. It would just quietly and lonely ring on and on and on. You know, we didn't have any of those type of things. He talked about different things that's happening, and he talks about the amazing world we're in now and how it's wasted on a generation of spoiled people that don't care. And he says, this is how we are now. It's like we get our phone, not, not one attached to a cord or on a rotary thing, but this type of a phone. And he says, oh, it won't work fast enough. Uh, give it a second. He says, it's going to space. Will you give it a second to get back from space? Is the speed of light too slow for you? And so the, the transition from that, he talks about being on an airplane and, and different things I read talked about on the airplane. And he says, people come back from flights and they tell you their story. He says, it's a horror story. Terrible. They'll say, it was the worst day of my life. First of all, we didn't board for, for 20 minutes. And then we got on the plane and they made us sit there on the runway for, for, for 40 minutes. It was like forever. And I say, Lewis says, oh, really? And, and what happened next? Did you fly in the air incredibly like a bird? Did you partake in the miracle of human flight? Everybody on every plane should be constantly screaming, Wow! You're flying! You're sitting in a chair in the sky! 
And here's the thing he says and closes it off by saying, people say there are delays on flights. Delays, really? New York to California in less than five hours. It used to take 30 years to do that, and a bunch of you would die on the way. The change of things, and you look at even right now, the time period we're in right now that we, we curse. How many of you are zoomed out? A bunch of us are, I, I, you know. And yet think of the time, if this had been done 50 years ago, we would have never had Zoom. We would have never had phones. The children is as frustrating as it is having them at home, and I know for some of you it's really frustrating. They're getting an education still, at least through the connections that are in play. There are so many different options that we have available to us now that would never have been available. The first time in Scripture where the word grumble shows up is in Exodus chapter 15. So if you ever do a check on it, you'll find this is the first time. In Exodus chapter 15, verses 22 through 27, it says this, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled on the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. This is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? This is the first time that you see the word grumble and it's a theme, actually, throughout the Scripture. Now, I want to draw your attention to the fact that this first grumbling happens three days after they've left the Red Sea and they're into the desert. This is Exodus chapter 15, and for some of you that have short attention spans or couldn't keep track, last week we ended with chapter 15, and we, we ended with what was the majority of the chapter, a victory song. Why was there a victory song? Because they had just done a miraculous thing, God had done a miraculous thing where they walked through a wall of water on dry land, they get to the other side, and then their enemies are completely demolished trying to follow them the water closes back over. So they have come out of Egypt in this incredible fashion. There's a miraculous thing that has occurred. It blows their minds, and so the first recorded song in all of history we have is a victory song to God for a miracle with the Red Sea. This is chapter 15. And now where we're at is just the end of the chapter, just a few verses, three days later, and they're sitting here, and they're like, oh, we're thirsty. Uh, this water is bitter. You know, we were really good for three days. We, we sucked it up for three days. And now we get there, and it's like, oh, there's water. And our expectations were raised and then crashed because the water's bitter. And so we can't drink any of this. What's with this? Now we're really in trouble. Now we have a problem. We should have stayed home. All this grumbling starts to happen. This was three days now, there are reports that if you, if you go into the desert, you know, and, and three days is about the limit of which you can last, so assuming they brought nothing with them, but they probably brought something with them, I can understand the concern. Let's take a look at the word grumble. It, it's an action word. It's, it's not passive. It's something you're doing to complain or protest about something in a bad temper but typically muted way. I'm protesting 
But I'm not like, hey, this isn't any good. It's like, this isn't any good. They don't know what they're doing, these idiots. Stupid governor, stupid president, stupid pastor, stupid everybody. They're all stupid. My spouse is stupid. My children are terrible. <laughs> and we grumble and we complain to mutter or murmur in discontent, to complain sullenly, kind of a bad attitude. It's not about taking the issue to where it can be addressed or being constructive. It's talking about just pulling in and quietly in discontent to grumble, murmur, complain, turn against. These are all the words that are used in different translations for what's happening right here. And so they come... They, the, the water's no good. Um, there's a problem with it, and it looks like probably a cruel joke. I can see that. And um, in the process, let's go on, Moses cries out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood, and he threw it in the water, and the water became fit to drink. And that seems a little bit, you know, crazy in some ways maybe. There uh, are those who've studied this a bit, and uh, one writer named Buckingham says that he thinks that it appears that the chemicals and the sap of the broken limb would have drawn the mineral content down to the bottom of the pools and only left the good water on top. So there were, there were minerals or other things there that made it undrinkable. Possibly the sap from this drew it down, possibly just a miracle of God. But, but it appears that he used this wood in some way to do that. Um, and so as he goes on, he even says this, that there was still a significant amount of magnesium and calcium content and that the laxative effect of this would have cleaned out the digestive systems of the children of Israel. Wonderful illustration, I know, to stick in your head. Cleansing them of common Egyptian ailments such as amoebic dysentery and other diseases or, or so that was a weakening disease that was common among Egyptian uh, peasants. And so God provides the right medicine in this moment to both clean out their systems and prepare them for the long march. In fact, there were aspects of some of this that, that appears to have also been helpful in a desert experience that could have been part of this. We could say that God was interested in this way of, of not only just getting the children of Israel out of Egypt, but he wanted to get Egypt out of the children of Israel, both physically and spiritually. And so this event that they are so bitter about becomes actually a cleansing moment for them. Now, after that whole thing has transpired, and again, I point out, three days after, and they grumble and complain, but God provides for them in the midst of that. The next passage sits here and says this, there the Lord issue a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. Are you going to follow this stuff or not is what he's saying. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I'll not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. I am the Lord who heals you. Now, in this older version of the NIV, Lord is capitalized. In the new online version, they've updated and changed some things that actually are not as accurate any longer. And so you're better with the ESV or some other translations. If you have the online, your original Bible will be fine. Um, the new updated version changes the Lord, if you will. 
And if you recall, I said before that if you have a capital L, lowercase o-r-d, it means more like a master or, or, or someone superior to you that you should serve. But where it's capped like this, L-O-R-D, it was a way of the translators letting you know that it's the word Yahweh. It's the personal name of God. It's the I am that, that is there at the burning bush and that Moses encounters. And so as we're reading this and saying the Lord's issuing a ruling and instruction for them, um, and, and then he says, I am the Yahweh who heals you, there's um, uh, something taking place here that's kind of special. What he's saying is that, look, at I have certain guidelines for you to follow. These are some laws. Yeah, we're going to call them laws. And if you follow these, it's going to be for your good. In fact, he says, I'm going to heal you and, and make sure that you don't have some of the diseases that the Egyptians would have had. And if you look at some of these laws, you understand why. He had uh, guidelines, and Dr. S.I. McMillan in his book, None of These Diseases, notes that many of God's uh, laws to Israel had this direct impact on hygiene and health. Practices such as circumcision, quarantine, washing and running water, eating kosher meals, all these had a medical difference in keeping uh, Israel free from disease. Sexual promiscuity being banned and prostitution. Uh, meant that there was no venereal disease or anything else that could have entered into the, into the um, household and place. And so he brings all these things into play to let there be some change and translation in them. Now laws, we don't like, they seem restrictive to us, but laws are actually intended to guide us and to protect us. The speed limit, I know many of us prefer to ignore, and I, I have my conflicts with it itself at times. But there's a reason for it. Our highways have been rated at a certain speed, and if you exceed those speeds excessively, you can't make the turns or the curves for which that road is designed. Now, if you go into the Autobahn into um, uh, Germany, those roads have been designed differently. And so you can hit, I'm told, 150 miles per hour or whatever on that, and you can make that curve. Now, I know many of you think that 94 is the Autobahn, but it is not. And so if you try to do 150... Okay, on 94, you're not going to make the curve because it wasn't designed to handle that kind of a, of a speed. There's all sorts of different things that are there for our purposes, and this is what God's doing here. He's guiding them in this way to place these laws, these instructions for their health. And what takes place next is that they have a new understanding of who he is. He's not just the almighty God, Elohim. He's no longer just the, the, uh, um, the I am, the one that is timeless. It doesn't need anybody but wants us. Now we're being told that the I am, the Yahweh, is, and the phrase is called Jehovah Rapha. He is the God who heals. He's not just this tremendous leader, but he's the one who is the great physician who heals and restores and, and provides for us. This is a powerful transition of something that began with this grumble, mumble, mm, to having the provision of the water that itself does something for them, but then the instruction and guidelines he gives them, and then his revelation anew of this is a new aspect, a new facet of his character. Again, he's trying to take these people from slavery to being warriors, from tribes to being nations, or nation, from people who grumble to people who are growing and establishing something in themselves. He was testing them. One of the things he was testing them is he wanted to know, 
Were these people the worshiping people who occasionally murmured? Or were they a murmuring, grumbling people who occasionally worshiped? And that's the question I ask us here today. Are we a worshiping people who just occasionally grumble? Or are we actually a grumbling people who occasionally worship? At what point does it cross over? At what point does the mild grumbling we're making cross over to the point of being the most significant part of our lives that our identity becomes wrapped up with it? I mean, we all grumble. We all complain. I grumble. I don't grumble to you. I got people for that. They're my grumbling people. They're the people I complain to and, and vent with. And, and some of them amazingly have been with me for decades, which is just surprising. But I've had to process even lately. To what degree does that become just a moment of event of, of or, or some issue type? At what point is that crossing over to crushing the work of God in me. You need to be very, very careful in this season, friends, that our complaint about all the restrictions that are placed upon us, about all the horrible things of Zoom that we have to deal with and all the other problems and frustrations, that, that those don't become our focal point that we don't let that translate into a sense of defeat, that we forget the victories that God has achieved, that we forget the various ways He's provided in this time. We need to remember and realize that, that God is shaping us into warriors in the same way that He was trying to shape the children of Israel. And that for every test that comes on, there's also a moment of rest. And this section closes out in verse 27 after all that they went through with the water and the testing. In verse 27, it says, they came to Elam where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees and they camped there near the water. So they, they come from, from, from the ocean being divided, the sea being divided and water stacked up and this miracle of cloud and fire and God's provision and we're so blown away by that in addition to all the ten plagues and all this amazing God Almighty, Yahweh who is with us and doesn't need us but wants us. Victory song. We're singing it loud. We're singing it proud. And three days later, we're like, water. It's like God that divided the sea couldn't provide somehow water for us in this moment of time. And so he does. Despite the grumbling, he makes provision. Despite all this, he doesn't turn his back. He instructs and, and gives them a new facet of his character. Follow these instructions. And then when all this is done, where do they end up? They come then to Elam where there's 12 springs, not one, 12 shade from the palm trees. He takes them to a place of rest. Our God knows when to test us, and he also knows when to rest us. Now, quickly, very quickly, this grumble theme is throughout the children of Israel's time. It is one of the predominant themes, unfortunately, and you need to look at that. Is this the predominant theme of your life? Well, good news may be God's working in you. Bad news is you're probably screwing it up, okay? 
So this grumble thing goes on very quickly. In Exodus chapter 16, verses 2 and 3, the whole community is grumbling again. Why? Because we don't have anything to eat and we're starving out here. And so Moses did some work with God. Next thing you know is a whole flock of quail just dive bomb into the camp and die and we've got meat. All right? In addition to that, manna. This is a bread-like substance that just appears in the morning uh, along with the dew. It's like the original Wonder Bread. I mean, it's just everywhere. And so we have bread and we have meat. And this is great and this is wonderful. Despite their grumbling, God provides. And then later they grumble down the line because we're kind of tired of manna, you know. It's miracle food out of nowhere. Yeah, but you know what? I mean, it's a little much now, isn't it? Doesn't God have any, you know, variety? So they complain over that. It goes on Exodus chapter 17, verses 3 and 7. Again, they're thirsty for water there. And so they grumble against Moses. Didn't learn the first time. They grumble again about Moses. And Moses comes along there, and, uh, um, and, and God works with him. He says, look it, there's a rock here, and I want you to take your staff and strike the rock. Now notice this is very important. He only strikes it once. That's going to be very important, not today, but at a later time for you to remember. So he strikes the rock once, water comes out, and again, there's provision being made. This theme is consistent all the way through. Um, it goes on, and, and there's one in Numbers chapter 14, verses 2 and 3. They actually finally get to Canaan, and while it's not the short way, it's not a hugely long way. They're there now. They're ready to cross in, but they send 12 spies, one for each tribe, because they're still a little tribal at this point in time. Ten of them come back and say, we can't do this. These guys are giants. They'll beat us up. We can't win. They're discouraging in their report. Two of them come back, Joshua and Caleb, and say, we can do this. With God, we can handle it. We can do it. But the Israelites grumble against Moses and Aaron. And, and they said, what would you do? Bring us out here to die? It says in Numbers chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt than to stay out here and, and have this? So I want you to understand this theme of grumbling was an ongoing part of their process. There's a guy named Keith Green who died a number of years ago who was a brilliant musician. And he wrote a, a, a song entitled um, uh, uh, Capturing Some of This Theme. And I won't give you the whole song. It's a funny song, but it has a bite to it. It's called So You Want to Go Back to Egypt. Okay? So you want to go back to Egypt where it's warm and secure. Are you sorry you bought the one-way ticket when you thought you were sure? You wanted to live in the land of promise, but now it's getting so hard. Are you sorry you're out here in the desert instead of your own backyard? Well, there's nothing to do but travel, and we sure travel a lot, because it's hard to keep your feet from moving when the sand gets so hot. And in the morning, it's manna hotcakes. We snack on manna all day. We sure had a winner last night for dinner, flaming manna souffle. He captures a bit of what they were going through. And because of all this, and, and the grumbling laws with this, they want to return to Egypt. They want to go back. So God is not just wanting to um, end that influence upon their lives. He very much wanted to end the fact that it had somehow shaped their very identity. And he's trying to cleanse that from their system. All of us come from somewhere. Obvious. 
and things that are in our past that continue to restrict us spiritually even though we're not present physically in that place. The divorce that was so messy is somehow never quite out of your mind. The childhood that was so damaging that it left scars that still echo. Those mistakes and errors that you made or the terrible things that someone else set upon you. These and so much more dominate our mind. And in this current environment with all the other things that are part of it, they, they, they have us feeling trapped, as we said last week, oppressed. And for many of us, it's almost like the U2 song. We're stuck in a moment. We can't get out. Time and again, God is trying to shape them. He is trying to draw them from that place and bring them into another place. And yet so often, despite miracle and provision and miracle and provision after each, we still want to go back to Egypt rather than march forward into what he has. He'll do great miracles and tremendous provisions of manna and other things, and we still sit here and say it's not enough, or how could he handle this situation, or, or we just want to go back. And he's saying that's not the place. That's the place of slavery, not for warriors. It's a place of tribalism, not of unity. It's a place of grumbling, not of growth. Well, this was just Old Testament, the children of Israel. It's a metaphor for all of us. And Paul the Apostle draws this out in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, speaking to the church today about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud, he talks about. And, and the drinking of the spiritual water that came or the water that comes from the rock. All these things, he says, of what happened, including the grumbling and all those things. He says in verse, 10, verse 6, these things happened as a warning to us. He goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 10 and 11. He says, and don't grumble as some of them did. These things were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. This is not just a season of something that has happened to you or to me personally. I told you at the very beginning of this six months ago, this is a unique moment in history. It is a time of testing it is a time of refining us. It is a time of clarifying us. And if we get caught up in our grumbles and our complaints and whatever restrictions we feel in the place of that and don't see God's provision in the midst of these moments, if our song is the grumbling song, and if you don't know that song, you can look it up. I, I heard this song as a child, but I never knew the verses. These were the verses of this song. It's an actual song, the grumbling song. In country, town, or city, some people can be found who spend their lives in grumbling at everything around. Oh, yes, they always grumble no matter what we say. For these are chronic grumblers, and they grumble night and day. They grumble in the city. They grumble on the farm. They grumble at their neighbors. They think it is no harm. They grumble when it's raining. They grumble when it's dry. They grumble all the year round. Yes, they grumble till they die. They grumble at their husbands. They grumble at their wives. They grumble at their children. It's their way of life. They grumble at their parents. And today, of course, we certainly grumble at the schools. They grumble at their teachers. They grumble at all the rules. 
Now, my father would always start out mornings oftentimes, especially Saturday at 6 a.m. He'd just burst into song and burst into our room singing, This is the day, this is the day that the Lord hath made. And we hated him. (laughs) He was bright and cheery. It was 6 a.m. It was Saturday. This is a godless man. And when we would complain and we would grumble about that, he would sing the verse, the chorus rather, to this song. Oh, they grumble on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, grumble on a Thursday too, grumble on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, grumble the whole week through. We never heard the verses because we would throw so many things at him at that point. He never got to the verses. But I came across this song recently. And as I look at the children of Israel and I look at this theme of where their lives went and what they did and how God was trying to shape them, I began to wonder, what is it that we sing? Songs inspire us, the Hallelujah Chorus. Songs can be reflective with emotion like the blues or marching songs. I've got a friend who's got some friends who's got a two-year-old child that's already doing the ABC songs. It's a mnemonic device perhaps to remind us of different things. Children of Israel sang a victory song and then three days later they sang the grumbling song. Songs remind us They inspire us. If we can't, in the moment of time, sing a victory song, then at least don't sing the grumbling song. If for some reason you can't sing a song of inspiration, at least don't sing to your neighbor, so you want to go back to Egypt? If we have to sing the blues in a proper and actual expression of our emotion, Somehow let that song end with a verse that reminds us that God is still in control. In our conversations, in our postings, in our attitudes, in all things that we are doing, what are the songs that we are singing and that we are encouraging others to sing along with us? In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul instructs his son in the faith, and he says, And then you, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust a faithful man who will be able to teach others. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And no civilian, or soldier rather, gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Are you a grumbler, or are you someone who's growing? Are you a slave to your past or are you a warrior increasingly growing in the faith and understanding and new facets of, of who God is? Uh, Jehovah Rapha, the, the God who heals. What songs do we sing in this season of time? Those songs remind us. Those songs define us. Those thong, songs can encourage us or discourage us. They can strengthen others or tear it down. God is taking these slaves and turning them into warriors. He's taking these diverse, polarized tribes and he's trying to draw them into a nation. 
He's taking these grumblers and he's wanting to grow them and show them new facets of his character. Are we a people? Are we a people who are worshipers that just occasionally grumble? Or at some point in time in this season did the line get crossed and we never even knew it? And at our core, really, we become grumblers who just occasionally worship. What songs are you singing? Father, I pray that you would shape us as your people, that you'd remind us that we're not in this desert alone, that there are great things that you have done in the past, that you continue to do in the present, and that you will in the future. Lord, let us be worshipers and not grumblers. Shape us, instruct us, I pray. I pray your provision for for our entire fellowship. We commit these things into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen.